I'm going to take a little bit of a break just for this week and next week. I have the, op- the opportunity to preach at a biblical counseling conference later this fall, and I'm going to teach six different lectures, and uh, I decided to bring two of them to you because I've been working hard on them uh, over the last few weeks, this week and next week. And so this week is going to be a message on worry and anxiety, and then next week I'm going to preach a message on fear. And this will be from some selected scriptures, so there won't just be one text that we look at, but several texts that we look at. And I want you to think about this sermon as well being like a sermon lecture. So it's not going to be quite a normal sermon like we typically do. There'll be a lot lot more information that we'll look at in an outline form, but it still, I think, will be valuable for us as we're going through the times that we're going through, and uh, hopefully it'll be a great encouragement to you and a blessing to your soul. And so we'll start this morning by looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful this morning to be able to dive into your word, to look at selected text this morning about worry and anxiety, our desires that we would be so lost in your mercy and desirous of your grace that we would just walk in a confidence and walk in a security and walk in the peace that we can only find in the Lord Jesus Christ. So be glorified in our time together in your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, worry and anxiety are a part of living in a sin-cursed world. And for the sake of this message, I'm going to use worry and anxiety interchangeably. So I'm not going to distinguish the two. I'm just going to use them interchangeably. That's how we see them for the most part in Scripture. And worry and anxiety are a part of life. You may feel anxious before you take a test or before you take a walk in a downtown inner street area, if you happen to park your car somewhere in downtown LA, uh, these occasions of worry uh, at times can be useful. Uh, It can help you be more alert for your own safety, to be careful, and it usually ends after you are out of the situation that caused it. Uh, You could have worry or anxiety about getting on a certain roller coaster, but as soon as you get off of that roller coaster, you're fine. And I faced that worry and anxiety this summer as we were able to go to Ohio. We went to Cedar Point uh, theme park there, and we rode Millennium Force, one of the greatest roller coasters on the earth. This roller coaster made Goliath here at Magic Mountain seem more like a kiddie ride. Uh, This roller coaster is 310 feet high. It's a 300-foot drop, which is like 50 feet higher than Goliath, and it goes 93 miles an hour, which is almost as fast as Superman. And it does it throughout the entire track, which is over a mile long. Now, needless to say, I didn't act like I was worried or afraid because I had three kids with me. Uh, But I was worried to get on that ride, and I had a lot of anxiety. And yet when I got off, the anxiety was gone until we rode it a second time. And I had to go through the experience all again. But for many of us as Christians, that anxiety sometimes doesn't go away. It actually can get worse over time. And when your anxiety or your worry builds over time, it can be even detrimental to your health. In fact, most people would say that we all worry from time to time, but if you can't shake it after a few weeks, or if it starts to get into your normal life and affect your work, your school, your home life, then you should maybe talk to your doctor 
It, it can take a toll on your health, and it might even be, some people would say, linked to an anxiety disorder. Your nervous system is a messaging network made up of your brain, your spinal cord, nerves, and special cells called neurons. And worrying too much can trigger it to release what's called stress hormones that speed up your heart rate and your breathing, that can raise your blood sugar and send more blood to your arms and legs. And over time, doctors have told us that this can affect your heart, blood vessels, muscles, and other systems. When you're troubled about something, the muscles in your shoulder and your neck can tense up, and that can lead to migraines or to tension headaches. And if you're worried a lot, you might even breathe in and out more deeply and more often without realizing it. And while this usually isn't that big of a deal, it can be serious if you have other lung problems, COPD, asthma, or things like that. If worry sticks around long enough, something as small and as nagging that is constantly, you're dwelling on it, it's in the back of your mind, it can affect your heart. It, it can make you more likely to have high blood pressure, have a heart attack, or to even have a stroke. High levels of anxiety can trigger those stress hormones that make the heart beat faster and harder. And if this happens over and over, your blood vessels can get inflamed, which can lead to hardened artery walls, unhealthy cholesterol levels, and other problems. Probably heard your doctor say, you need to quit living such a high-stressed life. And that's what we're talking about this morning. That means less worry and less anxiety. And if your body is affected by the physical effects of worry, it might not fight germs as well. Just thinking about things that made you upset or stressed in the past can take its toll. It can make it harder for you to fend off the flu, herpes, shingles, and other viruses. Anxiety can lead to stomach pain and sores in your stomach lining called ulcers. It can be an organic cause. There, there, there sometimes, a doctor might say, could be an organic cause to worry and anxiety, such as hyperthyroidism or hyperglycemia or some growth or tumor. And, and if that's true, if there is some type of organic cause or empirical data that could be tested by a physician, then by all means, you would want to get that checked out and have that treated. But... More times than not, we find that worry and anxiety don't have a true organic cause, which means that we need to look deeper than just looking at the body. We need to look at the soul. We need to look at the inner man. We need to look at the real you. We need to get past that which is physical and look at what's going on inside your heart. And as you know, we've been living in an unprecedented time with COVID-19. And suicide rates have gone up dramatically. Will the Delta variant take over the world? Maybe that's been your worry this week as we see those numbers ticking up. Uh, will, will they make you get the vaccine? Because if they do, I'm out of here, right? That's what you're feeling. That's what you're thinking for some of you. And what, what are you gonna do with all the potential economic stress? And all of these barriers to normal life can lead psychologists and psychiatrists to call this a constant and pervasive anxiety. And there have been doc documented increases in fear and worry about your own health and the health of loved ones. There's been documented increases in difficulty in sleeping and eating patterns, difficulty in concentrating, worsening of chronic health problems, worsening of mental health conditions, and even an increased use of tobacco and alcohol and other drugs. And so far, all the world has to offer us is more vaccines and booster shots. The world also offers yoga 
and the world also can offer medication. Oh, and the world also offers a president who's told us that our main threat as a country is racism and global warming. So the question is, what are we to do about all that's going on? And several times during this pandemic, I've heard people say things like, I'm afraid to go out, or I'm too anxious to go to church, or I'm worried about what's going on in our country. And to a degree, that's understandable. I mean, we've all experienced that to some degree, but what's not understandable is that when a committed Christian gets overtaken with that kind of worry to the point of sin, to the point where it destroys their own health and their own spiritual vitality and faith in God. And if that's you this morning, I simply wanna say, do not be afraid. The Lord is with you. COVID with the Delta variant and if an E F and G variants are found and arise, the Lord still will be with you. The unknown result of COVID and the vaccine and all of the related problems, if you've actually had COVID, while we still don't know all of those things quite yet, we do know that the Lord said, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. And he gives us reason this morning to put our trust and our confidence in him. We have a faith which has Christ's presence dwelling inside of us. And Christ's presence can keep us calm and keep us composed in the rough sea just as much as in a smooth sea. It was Peter who was sinking in the water. He would have sunk without Jesus Christ just as much in the smooth sea as he was starting to sink in the rough sea. The fact is that Peter's eyes were not on Jesus, but were on the waves, and that is what made him sink. When all you can do is check the news, and all you can do is look at the tally of COVID, and all you can do is just look at what what the government is doing, it can wreck your life. But when we walk with the Lord Jesus, even in the midst of all kinds of difficulties, and even in the midst of many a boisterous sea, we can overcome we can overcome with Christ. His safety becomes your safety, and his peace becomes your peace. And as the storm of COVID-19 blows furiously with the Delta variant again ticking up, and if the Lord appears asleep and insensible to the danger we face, whether it is to COVID or to the government's reaction to COVID by the overreaching into our homes and our businesses and our church, Please remember that he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. And his disciples, as we are following him, are in the boat with him. And the Lord calls us to rest on that truth with undivided hearts. For the Lord is with us when we're in the boat, and the Lord is with us when we step out of the boat into those waters. And so this morning, I thought it would be appropriate again for us to look at this topic of worry and anxiety. And so I've simply outlined our sermon this morning into three headings, the definition of worry, the explanation of worry, and the examination of worry. So we'll start off with the definition of worry, what it is and what it is not. So you see it there in your outline, what worry is not. Number one, your first blank, if you are taking notes, says this, worry is not an appropriate concern for others. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. You say, Adam, I thought this was a message on worry. What are you talking about? The same care for one another. There's no division in the body. Well, that word care is our word worry. That word care in the original language is the word merimanao. This is the same word that is translated to worry. The word means to be anxious, to worry about, to care for, or to be concerned about. And so you have to let the context help you determine whether to translate this word, Mary Manao, as care, like I'm caring for you, or as worry, like I'm worried about you. And in this verse, in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, it says that Christians should have the same care for one another. We should care for one another as Christians. And there is a type of deep concern and care that believers can and should possess that is constructive and that it is not a sin. And this is in the middle again of that context of 1 Corinthians where the church was compared to a body that has many parts and it can't function without every part making its own contribution. The eye is supposed to see, and the ear is supposed to hear, and the nose is supposed to smell, and the, and the hand is supposed to serve one another, and to high-five each other with encouragement, and the foot is supposed to kick each other. No, actually, the foot is supposed to help you get to where you're supposed to go. You guys got to keep listening, all right? The foot's supposed to help you get to where you need to go. We need all the parts of the body to help us care for one another. And when one part of the body is injured or isn't working, then the rest of the body is supposed to come alongside to help. And we, as the body of Christ, are to work together in unity. We, as members of Christ's body, are supposed to care for one another, We are to pray for one another. We are to serve one another and to come alongside one another. And this this is an example of, again, an appropriate concern where we are to have that care for one another. And Scripture recognizes certain types of intense concern as being perfectly legitimate for Christians. So again, we're saying that worry is not an appropriate concern. And your next blank says this, worry is not a proper concern that causes you to attend to business in a responsible way. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me, Paul says, of my anxiety for all the churches. Well, here's our word again, Mary Manao. I've already told you it's translated as worry. Care, here we see it translated as anxiety, and Paul is saying that he's got anxiety for all the churches. But in this context, it is not an anxiety in the sense of sinful worry, it is anxiety in the sense of an appropriate concern to attend to the business of serving the churches. Paul is talking about how he suffered many things as an apostle here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He was five times beaten by the Jews and, 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 he, and he had the 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. Three times he was shipwrecked and he was left to drift in the open sea for a whole day and and a night, and he faced danger from rivers, and he faced danger from robbers, and he faced danger from Jews, and he faced danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, and danger in the wilderness. He faced much toil and hardship. He had many a sleepless night. He knew what it was like to experience hunger, and he knew what it was like to experience thirst, and he suffered cold, and he suffered exposure. And in the midst of all of this, 
He also, in this verse, says that he had that anxiety, that pressure of serving all the churches. No one knows the daily pressure like a pastor or an elder. The pressure of attending the flock, preparing sermons, walking with people, receiving those phone calls, being responsible for the welfare of the flock that God has entrusted to your care. And Paul says that in the midst of all the other persecution and all the other suffering that he faced, there was this anxiety, this concern about attending to the business of serving the churches in a God-honoring way. And so this word, Mary Manao, is also used again in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul said that he had no one like young Timothy who was genuinely interested in serving churches like the church of Philippi. It's used in Philippians 2.20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So there's the word Mary Manao translated as concerned, that Timothy was genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church of Philippi. So here's what we're saying. Worry is not an appropriate concern. Worry is not tending to the business of serving others. And number three, worry is not right planning. It is not right planning. Sometimes you can overplan. Sometimes you can underplan, but I believe overall it is certainly a wise thing to plan about how you're going to spend your days on earth. We're to number our days with a heart of wisdom, Moses said. We're to kind of know what's going on and prepare for the future. But we also know that James says in James 4, 13 through 15, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year here and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Now, please note That passage I just read from James 4 never says not to plan. It simply says make sure that you include God and his providence and his sovereignty and his will in your plan because you don't really know what's going to happen in the future. So never be arrogant or presumptuous, but be careful. Plan out your days but trust that the Lord can take it and turn it and twist it any way he wants. And when he does, it's for his glory and it's for your good. A man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his path. Worry is not appropriate concern. Worry is not tending to the business of serving others. And worry is not right planning with the understanding that God's ultimately in control. So if that's what worry is not, we can ask the question, B, there in your outline, what it is. What it is, number one, worry is over-anxious concern about the future and things. It's an over-anxious concern about the future and things. Now I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6, and let's dig in here a little bit because this is a key passage on overcoming worry in your life. This is what worry is, and we see this so clearly in the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick up in verse 25 and 26 where Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. There's our word again, Mary Mena'o, this time in a negative, sinful context because the Lord forbids it. He says, do not do this. He says, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying, you're so focused on what you're eating and what you're wearing. And I get it, in the first century, it was a lot harder to put a meal on the table. And many times they live hour by hour, day by day. And if you didn't work on a certain day, you didn't eat. You didn't have a refrigerator and a freezer and another one in the garage filled with Costco food, right? You had to make it on your own. And so there's a little bit more concern about, man, how am I gonna eat today? And what am I gonna wear? You didn't have a closet like some of you ladies, uh-oh, I better not even go there. I'm not going to go. <laughs> I'm just kind of kidding with you. But, you know, they didn't have many changes of clothes, right? It's just like one change of clothes. And so they're kind of worried about what they would eat and what they would wear. That was normal in the first century. And so Jesus is addressing that. And he's like, hey, don't worry about that stuff. That stuff is not what your life is about. It's not just about what you eat and what you wear. Then he moves on to verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So Jesus is saying, hey, look at the birds. Most of us don't even know the birds are out there until they start chirping at 5 a.m. You're like, thank you, Lord, for the birds waking me up this morning. Unless you're a bird watcher, then you take, pay more attention. Uh, but the idea is like he said, hey, look at the birds. They just eat for the day. They eat a worm for the day, or they get the early worm or whatever and feed it to their babies, but they don't store up. They don't, they're not like bears. They don't hibernate. They're not able to store up. They don't store food like your toddler does in their, in their high chair, right? These birds, they just eat whatever they have for that day. And guess what? God takes care of them. He takes care of them. Birds don't usually go around starving. Somehow their needs are met on a daily basis because that's what God does. And if God will do that for a bird, for a finch or a sparrow, how much more will he do that for you? Are you not of more value than they? This familiar passage is encouraging us not to worry. Jesus tells us not to worry about our lives. He tells us not to worry about what we'll eat or drink, not to worry about what we'll wear, not to worry about what the future will have. God will take care of us. We are to not worry about the things we have and we're to not worry about the things we don't have. Don't worry about the future. This means don't worry about the future of your health. Don't worry about the future of your finances. Don't worry about the future of your kids. Don't worry about the future of your single status or your married status. Don't worry about the future of your job. Don't worry about the future of COVID-19 and all of its variants. Don't worry about the mask and the vaccine mandates. Don't worry about the future of our nation. Don't worry about the future of the world. Your responsibility is to have an appropriate concern, but not to have sinful worry. God, who provides all things for your physical body, God who provides all the food and clothing that you need, God who provides a shelter over your head, God who provides for all of the needs, again, of your body, this God is reminding us this morning that, that if he uh, more than adequately provides for all of creation that he will more than adequately provide for you. If he feeds the birds of the air, how much more value are you? He's reminding us. We need this reminder, particularly as Californians, as we drive through Hollywood and we see dog hotels and dog spas and dog psychiatrists and dog this and dog that. I just want to remind you this morning, you've got way more value than your pet dog. 
All right, you got way more value than anything in creation. You have a, you are created in the image of a living God. And he cares for humanity far more than he cares about dogs and cats and your pet gerbil. All right, make sure you keep it in the cage. All right, so we're, we're just saying here, God just saying, I got you. I care for you. I love you. I'm going to provide for you. Don't worry about your future. And so worry is this over-anxious concern about the future and about things. But we also need to know, number two, that that Greek word stresses the, the action and effects of worry to divide, to part, to rip, to tear apart, to be anxious, and to distract your attention. That's part of the definition of the verb of worrying. It's this idea of dividing yourself and being torn apart and being anxious and having your attention totally distracted. Matthew 12, 25, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. In this passage, Jesus is saying that a kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. This means it will become uninhabitable. In other words, you can't live this way. You can't live as a person who's worried. When you're worried, your thoughts are divided. In that moment when you're worrying, you're not trusting God. And then you move from that moment to trying to trust in God. And you go back and forth between not trusting God, trusting God, and it's tearing you apart. And you're worried about your circumstances and your attention is divided and you can't live with half your focus on Christ and half of your focus on the problem. He wants all of you and he wants all of your attention and he wants all of your focus. And so we hear Jesus say in Mark 4, 19, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. In this parable of the soils where some of the seed was sown on the path where the birds came and devoured it and other seed fell on the rocky ground and it sprang up. But when the sun rose, it was scorched and since it was so hot and there was no root, it withered away. And other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And he says there in that passage, it's because you had too much care for the things of the world. You're, you're too worried about having more stuff and having more comfort. And when you care too much about the world, whether that be the deceitfulness of riches or the desire for other things, you could desire comfort, you could desire an easy life, you could desire to have all of your wants met, Whatever it is for you this morning, it is choking out the word of God and it is proving to be unfruitful in your life. Worry never did anything for anybody. It is not your friend. And so what is worry? Worry is this over-anxious concern about the future. Worry is your divided focus and distracting you from your attention on Christ. And number three, worry is anxiety that enslaves a believer with involuntary-like reactions and responses that biblical counseling is needed. Yes, this is a biblical counseling sermon. It is something that is getting to your heart saying, like any sin, worry or anxiety can enslave a person. Worry is not noble. It is not right. It is not accepted by God. It is a sin. And someone who runs back to their worry again and again and again can become completely enslaved. They think about it all the time. 
That person is a worry wart. They are so controlled by their anxiety that they need help. They could benefit either from formal or from informal biblical counseling. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Worry is an over-anxious concern about the future. It is the dividing of your focus, and worry can be enslaving. So now that we've seen a definition of worry, let's just flesh this out a little bit more, and let's talk about our second heading, number two, the explanation of worry. And what I want to talk about under this heading would be that fine line that exists between appropriate concern and sinful worry. Since most of us here in the church know that worry is a sin, we may try to rationalize our worry just as concern and nothing more. Or we may think that our worry is so involuntary that it's just something that happens and we can't really control it. We may view it as an anxiety attack, which we think is simply a physiological response which we can't stop or help. And I know it can get complicated for those of you who might struggle with anxiety attacks, but I'm just saying somewhere down in your heart, there's probably room for growth. Is that fair? Somewhere in your heart, there's probably room for growth of more trust in Jesus, more dependence upon him, so that when those moments of that anxiety attacks come, and I'm not against taking medication, not against for you taking a deep breath in a brown paper bag, go for it if you want. I mean, I, I would do the same if I was having an anxiety attack, which I may at some point, you know, but the, the point is that, that o- over and above that, we still have to come back to God's word. And we have to wrestle with what's really going on in my heart. What is it that's going on? I I feel like I have this involuntary action, but there may be some type of of thing going on that I need to work on, that I need to grow in, that I need to experience God's grace to deliver me from being enslaved to some type of fear. And I'm just here to tell you this morning that you can stop with the help of the Holy Spirit. There is no way that God commands us, do not worry, and then says, well, some of you can't help it. He says, do not worry, and I will be with each and every Christian to help you overcome and overpower that worry when it does become true sin in your life. And so let us ask the question, how do you know when concern becomes worry and therefore a sin? So the next thing on your outline there says, A, concern becomes worry and therefore sin when, and let me give you seven things to think about, okay? Worry is a sin and concern becomes worry when these seven things happen. Number one, thoughts are focused on changing the future. When your thoughts are drilled down on somehow I have to change the future, if you are obsessed with the focus only on the future and you become engrossed in how you can change the future to prevent something bad from happening to you, then it can become a sin. You can look to the future, but you can't change the future. We have to leave the future in God's hands. Proverbs 23, 18, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. There is always hope in God. There is always hope in him because he holds the future in his hands. Don't try to change the future. Trust God with the future. For he who ordains all things is working it out for his glory and for your good. 
Concern becomes worry and therefore sin when, number two, thoughts are not focused on Christ. Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So if your thoughts are more focused on your problem or on your fear than they are on the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for you and the mercy and grace that he extends to you even in your temptation to worry, then your thoughts are focused on the wrong thing. Oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? No, it's like, let me just look to Christ. That's the only thing that will solve it because you can play the what if game all day long and it never benefited anybody. I mean, you have to plan, like I said, to a degree. I'm not saying don't make wise choices. I'm saying don't let that dominate you to where it's always focused on something else rather than being focused on Christ. Or we could say it this way, concern becomes worry and therefore sin. Number three, when it controls you instead of you controlling it. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We don't put our trust in the world. We don't put our trust in a vaccine. I'm not against taking the vaccine. I'm just saying that can't be our ultimate trust, as you know and now see as things develop further. You're like, it may or may not make the difference in the pandemic. Maybe it will. I don't know. I'm just saying our ultimate trust is in the Lord. It's in him. And we're not to be mastered or dominated by anything. Let the peace of God empower you to walk in obedience. And so concern becomes worry, number four, and therefore sin, when number four, it causes you to neglect other responsibilities and relationships. Be reminded, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, as each received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And sometimes when we're worrying too much, we begin to neglect our responsibility to actually be serving other people. God's called you to serve others, both at home and in the body of Christ here at church. And if your worry and your anxiety are keeping you from doing that, then it is a sin. Concern becomes worry and therefore sin when, number five, it damages your body. Again, Proverbs 25, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. It can lead to sin if you're damaging your body with ongoing, uncontrolled fear and worry. Number six, concern becomes worry and therefore sin when you lose hope instead of finding answers. And the finding of the answer is just really finding Christ and finding the opportunity to trust him and to depend upon him. It's having that hope that we talked about in our song of worship service when, when, uh, when we're reminded of things like Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God's called us to live like that not to be controlled by worry and losing our hope. We're to, to garner our hope and have our hope galvanized even in times of difficulty because we're holding on, again, not to temporal things or promises from other people. We're holding on to the promises of God. 
Concern becomes worry and therefore sin when, number seven, you stop functioning. If you were to stop functioning, to be totally paralyzed or just to be plain out lazy, like Proverbs twenty-two thirteen, the sluggard says, there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. So in other words, the sluggard is making an excuse for not doing what he ought to be doing because he's fearful for what may happen. There's a lion outside and he won't do anything. Worry can be crippling. Worry can be damaging to the soul. Worry is something that you can only overcome in Christ. It's only in Christ and in the gospel that you can overcome this sin of worry. Let me talk to you next in our outline about why worry is wrong. Why worry is wrong. Number one, it is unproductive. It is unproductive. And then little a there says it accomplishes nothing. Worry doesn't accomplish anything. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew 6. We were there earlier. Maybe you're still there. Matthew 6, 27 now through 30. I want to read to you, again, continuing in the Sermon on the Mount about Jesus saying, I'm going to take better care of you than the birds because you're of more value than they. Verse 27 says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which uh, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he's just reminding us, who's ever gained an hour of rest? Who's ever gained a day of your life? Who's ever gained a single day? Uh, hour to the span of life by being anxious or by worrying. None of us have. And he just reminds us that God will take care of us. He takes care of the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. In other words, they're not wrapped up in their anxiety. He, he clothes us even more than he did. Uh, I mean, he clothes the, the nature even more than Solomon in all of his glory. So he'll take care of us. And if he so clothes the grass of the field, uh, then we know that he will clothe us. And so we've got to have faith and we've got to understand that when we don't have that peace and that trust in God, that worry is wrong because it's totally unproductive. It accomplishes nothing. Your next blank says it's a thief of time. Worry is a thief of time. Therefore, verse 34, same passage, Mark 6, verse 34 says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So in other words, God's made us to be able to manage just one day, one 24-hour day. And he won't give you too much, and he's not going to pile on beyond what you can handle. But he doesn't want you to start building many days together, because if you build a bunch of days together, now you're going to be anxious, not just about and concerned about what you should be doing today, but tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and it begins to steal your time. Worry can be completely unproductive and it accomplishes nothing because it's a thief of time, but also the next uh, heading there says it controls your mind. Worry can control your mind. D, your thoughts are unproductive. E, it blurs your vision. Matthew 6, 22 and 23, a little bit earlier in the passage, says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then uh, if then light is in you is darkness, how great is this darkness? Isn't it interesting that that's still in the same passage about worry? He's saying, open your eyes 
to God's word. Don't let the darkness of fear or doubt step in. Don't let your vision be blurred of looking to Christ. And so worry is completely uh, unproductive. It accomplishes nothing. F in your outline says it wastes your energy. It wastes your energy. You're not gaining anything from it, and you're expending a whole lot of concentration and focus and energy, and it's all a waste. G, worry damages your body. We've discussed that a couple of times. H, a worrier usually stops functioning in many areas of life. Not just this one thing. There could be, you could be so paralyzed that you can't produce fruit in several areas of your life. I, worry is actually laziness. There he talks about the parable Jesus does in Matthew uh, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, about the parable of the talents, where he gave this one guy five talents and another two and another one. And you remember the first two doubled their talents and Jesus praised them. But the last one was like, hey, I was, I was afraid that I might lose your money. And so I didn't do anything with it. I just buried it in the ground. And, and, and that person was admonished for being lazy. He, he was too worried that he wasn't being faithful with the responsibility of at least putting the money in the bank to gain interest. Remember that? So worry is wrong because it's unproductive, but it's also, number two, it's unnecessary. Why is that, you ask? Your next blank says A, so I'm at 2A, it's unnecessary. Why? Because God is able and trustworthy. God is able and trustworthy. You don't have to take care of it because he's already taken care of it. You don't have to worry about it because it's in his capable care and power and control and providence over you. And God has full control of the situation. God has ordained each and every day and each and every trial and you can trust him with the results and you don't have to worry about it. God is able and he's trustworthy. B says God is concerned. In other words, he does care. He understands he's not just oblivious to the pain and heartache that you're going through. Again, Matthew 10, 29 through 31 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are of more, of more value than the sparrows. So again, he's saying, hey, even, even if a, a cheap sparrow that's, that may be worth, if you were to buy one uh, for a penny, if it fell to the ground, God knows. He knows about that sparrow who died. He knows about every living creature that he made. He knows everything about your life. He knows about how many hairs are on your head or how many hairs you used to have <laughs> on your head. They're all numbered. He cares for every hair and he wants it in the perfect place. I mean, it's just phenomenal to think about this, this magnitude of God's knowledge. And he says, again, we are of more value than sparrows. And so we don't need to be worried about it. It's completely unnecessary. God is able and he's trustworthy. God is concerned. Number C there says worry is unbelief. Your next blank worry, again, is unbelief. It is simply not believing that God is God. It's not believing that God works all things together for your good. Worry is unbelief because you're not trusting God and you're not trusting in his wisdom and in his might. You're worried about it because you think somehow he's maybe made a mistake. Number three, so we see that worry is unproductive, worry is unnecessary. Number three, it's unbecoming. It is unbecoming. You know what? When you're worrying, you are acting like an unbeliever. When you are worrying and it's dominating your life, you're acting like an unbeliever. We're supposed to be the church, people. 
People are supposed to be looking to us at times of a, of a pandemic and saying, what should we do? And all we do is say, look to Jesus. If you don't repent, you will likewise perish. But we have great hope and a great God that even if you do die, there's heaven forever, which is way better than anything that this world could ever afford. And yet when the church is running around all worried to death, they were not being a great example for unbelievers. It is unbecoming to be a worrywart. Who in here loves hanging out with worrywarts? You're like, oh, I'm gonna call my friend who's the biggest worrywart I've ever met and I'm just gonna go hang out with them so I can just enjoy hearing about their worries all day. Anybody? That's you? I mean, we hate doing that. We're just like, I'm not, I'm, I don't wanna talk, I don't even wanna talk to that person. All that's gonna happen is they're gonna tell me about this and that and this and that. <laughs> I mean, it's the fine line again, right? It's like, it's okay to be concerned. I'm not saying we don't want to hear people's trials. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that when you only share the worries and the fears and you're not holding on to Jesus, saying, you know what, this has been a really hard week, but God has been so good. He's been my rock. He's been my fortress. And in the midst of this and this and this that happened, please pray for me. I know God is good. And I know he's in control. And then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I want to hang around that person. Where, where are you? I want to hang out with you because I see what you're going through and I see how God's strengthened your faith and that encourages me. Worriers focus on what they don't have. They focus on what they do not have. C, your next blank says, focuses on earthly values, not eternal. D, focuses on the gift, not the giver. So when what you have, things are taken away from you, that destroys you because you've been focused too much on the gift and not the giver. Worriers have no hope, that's E, and worry is idolatry. It's idolatry because you simply think you know better than God. You're a disciple, that verse there, Matthew 10, 24 says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. So if you're the disciple and you're the servant, you can't worry because if you worry, you're putting yourself over your teacher and you're saying, I know better than they know and that's why I'm worried about it. And what you should be saying is, you know, I'm gonna leave that up to God. God's got this. He's in control. So now we've examined a definition of worry, an explanation of worry, and then third here, the examination of worry in your life. These are just questions you can read. Is there anything that you are presently anxious about? If you're here this morning, you might be nodding your head through the sermon like, yeah, I'm struggling. Worry has been a big part of my last year. It is something that I wrestle with every day. And you may be here this morning and you're like, nah, I don't worry about that. I don't care. I don't care what's going on. I'm fine. Well, then ask yourself these 11 uh, questions because it may be that some of these questions, and I don't have time to go through them, but just work through them and just say, hey, you know what? Maybe worry has showed up like this, like that. These 11 questions to help you diagnose your own heart. Number 11 says, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? Maybe that would be one. Okay, I got to give you the blanks because some of you are trying to fill it in. Number two, what, what, what was your thinking for each of those situations, what was your thinking? Number five, how were you not trusting God? Number eight, what sins do you tend to commit due to anxiety? Do you lie? Do you fail to do what God wants you to do? Are you irresponsible? Number 11, have you had any unconfessed sin in your life? That's just for you to work through. These are like biblical questioning homework for you to say, hey, you know what? Let me work through this and see where I am. Maybe I can help work through this with someone else and just talk about it. B says how to get rid of worry. Here's a couple of wrong ways to get rid of worry. A, minimize. You can minimize it by just simply saying, hey, trust God, 
read the Psalms, you'll be all right. That would be coming from someone who's not a biblical counselor or a shepherd. They're just like, ah, just read the Psalms, you'll be fine. Stop your worrying. That's what I'm tempted to do, by the way. By nature, that's how I would probably handle one of my kids. If one of my kids is like, Dad, I'm afraid it's dark. I think there's a monster in the closet. I would probably say, there's no monster in the closet. You know, quit your crying and go to sleep. That's how we respond in our natural state, all right? But as a Christian and as a disciple of Jesus, you now care for and love others enough to try to help them get to the heart of what's going on. So don't just minimize it. It needs some attention. It needs some help. This is a sin pattern in people's lives, and it needs to be broken, and that takes time and effort and scripture. Be pious wishing. It'll go away with time. That's not how you get rid of worry, just wishing it away. C, by your own effort, I can handle it. I just need to change my responses and my thinking. If you just grit down too hard in your own self and not looking to Christ in your own effort, it's not going to work for you. D, manipulate. That's really what psychology does, by the way. It trades the worry for something else, but it doesn't include Jesus. And so it's powerless to really change you. And it's manipulation. I need to gain, regain control of my circumstances and my future. That's what cognitive behavioral therapy does. It changes you and gives you some techniques, but it doesn't include Christ. E, activity. If it can, uh, excuse me, if I can just keep myself busy doing stuff, talk about it, I will feel better if I can have a cathartic discussion with my counselor. So if you do these kind of activities, just, just keep busy or have conversations with your counselor, maybe it'll go away. F, wrong praying. Lord, take away the demon of fear and anxiety. Deliver me now. If that's the extent of your prayer, then you're missing the point of uh, biblical growth and discipleship. You can't just say, take the demon of worry away. It's got to be a little bit more involved than that. So here's some right ways to deal with worry. You ready? It's Matthew 6.33. And of course, we've already read Philippians 4, 6 through 9. But Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Just a simple verse. But it is the verse that, that crowns that whole chapter that we just read about the worries. Jesus' counsel at the end of that is like, look, you've got to just seek the kingdom of God. Seek him, seek his righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about, God will take care of it for you. We understand that there's a right way to deal with worry and it's by opening the Bible. It's by receiving instruction from the goodness of our great God. It's about, your next heading says, right praying. Praying in the right way. And Philippians 4, 6 and 7 is the right way to pray. Where we're admonished here, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So it's, it's a good thing to come to God in prayer. It's a good thing to say, God, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for creating me. And I want to thank you for saving me. And I want to thank you that this trial has been now brought in my life so that I can learn to trust you. Lord, help me to learn this lesson. Lord, thank you that you're so kind to give me the word of God that I can come to. And I want to just thank you. And my request is that you would help me. That's my request. My request isn't automatically just remove it because he doesn't always take the thorn away. The request should be like, God, help me grow. Help teach me what you want me to learn. Help me to be rooted and grounded in scripture. God, thank you for the peace. I'm, I'm praying that that peace that I know exists in you and in my salvation is also true in my sanctification. God, it's only by dwelling on your truth and your word that that, that peace can transcend and surpass all understanding. 
It's going to guard my heart. Lord, help guard my heart and my mind that I don't let my mind go back to that pathway of worry. Worry can be just as, just as addicting as pornography. You know, somebody who's struggling with pornography, they can't stop thinking about sexual thoughts, and so their mind tends to go down that path often throughout the day. And then in some way, they kind of look forward to that pathway if they're enslaved in that. Well, somebody who's struggling with worrying, it's the same sin pattern of going down this direction of ungodly thoughts, not trusting God. And somehow you think if you think about it enough, it's going to help you, and it doesn't. And so you have to change those thoughts and those, those, the, the, what you're dwelling on. And this passage says you've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard it. You've got to keep alert. And you have to realize when I start heading down that path, that is a sin, It doesn't honor God. I confess it to the Lord, and I'm asking for God to help me set my mind on Christ. And so number one, recognize and confess worry as a sin. That might be a game changer for you. You might be here, and you've been rationalizing this sin in your life for long enough. And what you need to do is just say, you know what? I'm in sin. It's a sin. I see from God's word where this is clearly something that has taken over areas of my life and I need to confess it before God. Number two, thank God for his goal in trials and problems. Remember, God ordains our lives and everything that happens in it, including your trials and your problems, so just thank God. I'm not saying you thank God for the pain itself, but you thank God for the trial that teaches you what he wants to teach you in the trial. And you can thank God for that. You can make specific requests. Number three, you can pray specifically for things, but hopefully they're pointed towards the glory of God more than just, you know, get this demon of worry away from me. Number four, right praying leads to right thinking. As you began to pray the right way through Philippians 4, 6, and 7, then you began to think the right way. In fact, talking about right thinking, that's your next heading, right thinking there. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true. So here's the right thinking. You're praying now with thankful hearts for God to help you have the peace of God that surpasses understanding. And now you start thinking on this, on what? Brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on, dwell on these things. That's your, that's your money passage right there. You go to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You camp out in verse 8, and we'll look at verse 9 here in just a second. But verse 8, number 1, remind yourself of God's bountiful provision. Just remind yourself of how good he is. His bountiful, his bountiful provision starts with his character. How good are you, God? You're filled with honor and justice and purity. You are so lovely and you're so commendable. These characteristics are first and foremost found in God. And then in the gifts and the things that he ordains and brings about in your life, it's all a reflection of God. Number two says a think list. Think list. In other words, if you start to struggle with worry, think about this list. Confess your sin, ask for the peace of God that passes all understanding, and then start meditating on the things in this list. And this is all here, what we're talking about is biblical, number three, biblical thinking. Biblical thinking. Isaiah 26, three says, keep, uh, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Great verse, Isaiah 26, three. Number four, biblical planning. So you do want to plan, but you want to plan with God's providence and his power in mind. And then C says right action. 
right action. Now we're in verse 9, Philippians 4, 9. What you have heard, or excuse me, what you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so he's saying, hey, pray through it. Verse 8, think about it. Verse 9, it's time to put it into practice. Ask that God will help you practice these things as the God of peace is with you. Number one, redirect faith in self or other people to faith in God. Got to redirect that faith that you've had maybe in yourself or someone else to putting that faith in God. Number two, you rehearse. You rehearse God's truth, his word. Be reminded that no temptation is overtaking you, except that as common to man, he'll not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptation comes, he provides a way of escape so that you can be able to endure through it. And so you rehearse God's truth and his promises. Number three, putting on, putting on right praying, right thinking, right choices, and right acting puts off worry. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt with deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is a great opportunity to take this sermon lecture and to take these notes front and back and just say, you know what, I'm gonna have that right there available to me throughout my day, throughout my week, throughout my month, so that when I feel like worrying is starting to creep up again, this is a great study, this is great homework. This is great biblical discipleship for me to walk through this. If you want some other resources, there's the classic Anxiety Attacked by John MacArthur, love that book, so easy. Sometimes we think anxiety is attacking us and the whole point of that book is, no, no, I'm going after it. I'm going to attack it because I got the living God living inside of me. Another uh, book would be a small book. It's literally called A Small Book for the Anxious Heart by Ed Welch. Another resource would be Anxiety, Knowing God's Peace by Paul Tauchus. There's lots of other resources. I just gave you three really simple ones that could be helpful. Also, you could take a daily journal. This is what we do in counseling. Hey, journal down. What am I worried about? And how do I react to that? And how should I react to that? And what does God's word say about that? And you start to just kind of put it on paper and it can help you think through how to be more proactive in your fight against worry. And then lastly, of course, just memorizing and meditating on key passages. I've given you several here this morning that would help you to hide those passages in your heart and to meditate on them as you face each trial and fear in your life. Well, and I close this in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity today to look at this important topic, this topic of worry. We all know that we struggle to some degree and in some way. And we're praying this morning, God, that you would use this material that comes from your word in a way that would help us to form thoughts in our minds about what is appropriate concern and what is sinful worry. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would just bring to light things that maybe we're struggling with that we maybe didn't even realize until this morning and that with that conviction would come great hope and that we would see the grace of God and we would see your patience and your love and your concern for us that you want to help us and pull us out of the mud and the mire and you want us to, 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 to be able to walk a life of courage and of faith. And so I'm praying, God, for those who may be struggling this morning, God, that you would give them answers from your word and that you would help us as a church to be sensitive to, aware of, and very much desiring to help one another as your body. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.